Here we go, here we go. I'm always, I'm always flummoxed. Last, last week we had, you know, people standing outside and then people said, oh, I, you know, we got to come back and do it again. And then I got 30 less people, so I don't know. Maybe we set up more tables. Who knows? It's just very hard to figure out what's going on. Uh, let's pray and then we'll chatter a little bit and then we'll see where that takes us, okay? Here we go. Oh God, you make us glad every week when you bid us to remember the glorious resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And now we pray as we enter this day through the blessing of the divine service that the days that follow this week may be spent in your favor. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, um, you weren't as loud as last week, and then that always throws me off. I thought, well, if they're equally loud, I'll just let them go. But you weren't as loud, so now I don't know what quite to do. So uh, here's what happened. I had some stuff uh, ready to go, but then we couldn't get it out of the computers or get it printed. So um, maybe I'll just... Let me take a few things first. Um, under true confession, maybe. Um, you got this blue sheet about the move next door. I, just so you know, and I, I've tried to say this in many venues, but I'll try to say it to you here, and then you can sort of press it out in many venues. You know, the goal is to move to the new campus before Easter. That's the goal, Easter or before. But there's so much work that is volunteer work, we really have to... Uh, we sort of have to watch, because if we say, okay, we're going to move in Easter morning, and then we don't get the walls painted, you know, that's not going to be that much fun. So partly the reason why I hedge it a little bit is because so much of the work is volunteers. Now, the good news is, is volunteers are working like crazy. Uh, you go, if you go on Monday or Wednesday or Saturday, there are all kinds of people there. I also want to encourage you to come and to bring your friends. I just want you to come and experience it. You can see what's going on. But we'll set the date when we can actually see a clear, you know, a clear picture. I'll give you some examples. You know, to move the victory window, you had to get a steel worker and a construction guy and a mill worker all there on the same day. That took 12 weeks. They were 12 weeks late coming to do that. Because it's not a very big job, but it took three specialized guys coming from Chicago. Or, for example, there's this huge pieces of, you know, I'll just call them crown molding, but they're, you know, seven feet long or seven feet tall. You know, those are supposed to be delivered um, two weeks ago. They're on a truck somewhere between here and Pennsylvania. So if they come this week, they'll get installed. There's so many things we can't control. We're aiming at Easter or before. We'll let you know as soon as we know. It's not holding back information for a surprise. It's how fast they're going to work and how fast you're going to work, to be real honest with you, okay? But we don't have to, you know, we don't have to get verklempt about that. It's just, the, it's just the way it is. However, we're very sure that the offices are going to move the week of February 28th. February 28th is a Monday. Oh, it's a week from tomorrow. We're going to move the offices next door. It'll be a little complicated until all the wires stop sparking and things actually work, right? Okay, I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. And it was complicated by the big surge we had that took out everything electrical in this building on Friday evening. Okay, that was difficult, and not everybody is here, and we didn't want to call in. If you call people in on the weekends, that's extra money, but so we didn't do that. We'll just kind of get through. So I just want to say to you, if you need something next week, um, and it's desperate, you can call, you know, you can call folks at home. You can call the vicar, you can call Gainig, you can call Nelson. Under full disclosure, I'm going to see my daughter next week for college weekend. Really, I planned mine before they planned the move. I'm not going to be here the week of day of the book. I know you think I don't want to move my 95 boxes of books. No, no. It was just the blessing of God that you're moving on the same day that I'm gone. I can't control it. You know, this is, a, you can only hope to contain it. So, um, 
I just want to say to you, have fun moving my books next Saturday, okay? Because I packed up. See, you didn't think that was funny. You think I'm a... There you go, Vic. Vic and I, I wore jeans. I wore jeans every day this week to pack my books. I didn't, I didn't dress. I started on Tuesday morning. I had no appointments this week save women's Bible study. I started packing my books about 4 p.m. Friday. That's how the week went. I mean, there's so many things going on, so that's good. So anyway, now I'll just say, in terms of the blue sheet, you know, try to be, let's see how well we can do this. And I don't mean how well we can move. I have no doubt that Martha and John and all the rest will get us moved over there. I mean, let's see how well we can uh, engage the challenge of, you know, picking this whole operation up and moving to the next door. There are going to be glitches between the move and the stuff that doesn't work now and people being gone. There are going to be glitches. And remember, we're trying to do the other piece at the same time. So let's see how kind we can be, how cooperative. Let's see how well the staff can do. Let's see how well you can do. But the bottom line is, if you have an emergency, uh, if you need pastoral care, if you send an email that doesn't get through, you know, all that is suspect now, call us at home. You can call home, you can call Ganey, you can call Nelson, you can call me, my wife will forward it on, but call somebody if you need help. You got that clear and kind of say that through? That'd be all right? Second, I just want to say a little bit about this. Um, you know, this is, a, it's always a difficult and fearsome thing for the finance committee and the, and the governing board to meet because in a way, as, as Matt Strutzel, your treasurer, said to Gary, we're all in it together. But yet, sometimes when they meet, you know, every first or third Tuesday, it doesn't always feel like they're all together because they're there taking on these very um, considerable things and trying to figure out how to make this work. I'm going to just say why that um, yellow sheet should be a cause for encouragement rather than um, despair. Here's the reason why. If you, and I, it was interesting, after I, you know, two weeks ago I preached about the about the new space. Now, what I was trying to get you to understand was we always do our best in the Lord's house, and, you know, his house should be better than our house, and that matters because people will look at that, and you actually tell people how you feel about Jesus by how you build his house. And then a confirmation kid said to me, wrote, they always write a question about the sermon. The question about the sermon was, hey, if we're 20% behind in the budget, how come we can get stone from Jerusalem for the floor? You didn't think that was funny? I thought that was hilarious because I'm thinking to myself, is that your question or your dad's question? <laughs> but here's the thing, man. I'm hoping I got, a, I'm hoping I got an eighth grader that's that sharp, okay? Now, not to dwell on the past, but it is, in fact, true. If you do the numbers, we're 20% under the budget. But as you recall, and this is your little bit of sadness, the budget had the school in it, which was half our budget. So in some sense, we should erase that. I've argued that with John and Melissa. They say, no, no. That's what the congregation passed, so that's what the congregation needs to see. And I say, au contraire, that's so depressing because the budget is meaningless because it doesn't represent any reality, to which they say, hmm, you're wrong, we're right, that's how we're going to do it. Okay, so that's the way, that's the way it is. That, they're accountant types, that's what they do. They put the budget up. But to me, the budget is meaningless because it doesn't represent reality. It has no reality, that's not what we are. However, um, we are about, on January 31st, we were about 7% below last year, the actual giving. Okay, it's something like, you know, in my head, it's something like $945,000 last year, $885,000 this year. So there's a 60 or $65,000 difference. But, and again, this is the sadness, you know, last year at this time, we were, you know, six to 700 people on a Sunday. This year at this time, we're five to 600 people on a Sunday. I'm taking out 
the people who come every morning, which are like 100 or 125 people, and taking them out because they don't pass the basket, it's often the same people. And it just, it's, not an, it's not an equal comparison. So basically, you look at this and you can say, hmm, you know, let's, if you just want to go at the top numbers, our, our, we're off maybe, just take an average, our attendance is off 15%, but our giving is only off 7%. What does that mean? Now, you can analyze that all week, which is why I'm giving you, but there's, well, looking for somebody to blame, good Lutheran, that away. Uh, what this seems to me to mean is a couple of things. Um, either, uh, there must, maybe one possibility is the people who left didn't really give too much, and so you don't really notice them, or the people who stayed are given a lot more. You have to account for this delta of 8% somehow. Now, you can think about that, but for my money, you know, sitting in the governing board and knowing the finances a little bit, this is probably good news rather than bad news. It means you've um, closed the gap. You know, we could analyze it all day long if we want, but the point of that is um, things will be much clearer on the 1st of July because the budget will, you know, be kind of worked out and we'll have worked through some of our bumps in the road and life will be good. I don't say this to make you think ill of anybody. I don't say this to draw, draw, draw past hurts. I only say this so that you, when you read something like this, you kind of see a few more facts than it might be. If we tried to write all this, it would be very difficult to write all this. Does that make sense? So I want you to be more encouraged, but I also want you to be serious because when we do move next door, that's going to be more expensive. The mortgage that was paid out of the lockbox is going to suddenly come due out of the plate. There's going to be all kinds of things. It's going to be a very interesting next 60 days when the governing board and the finance committee try to bring you a budget. It's going to be very interesting. So don't despair. You just have to, you know, we're all big boys and girls, and we're all in it together, and these are the facts. And don't be mad at anybody and do your best. And, you know, um, we've already had a corporate protest from McDonald's because Strutzel tried to put you off Happy Meals. Uh, you know, they've, uh, one McDonald's representative has already come forward and said, hey, you can tell them that, but I have to give less now because you're cutting my pay. So, man, you guys got to loosen up a little bit. <laughs> Y'all okay with that? So just kind of think that through, and um, it's always hard to make that kind of global stuff kind of stick. Uh, okay, now, yes, Karen Crawford, you are the most wonderful woman because you're never at a loss. Hold on, though, before you start. This goes to Finn in Ghana. If you got an extra 10 cents, give it to Finn. Uh, yes, my friend. I'll deflect. If you, if you try, to, try to get me into something I want to get out of, I will get out of it. Sure. Yeah, okay, sure. I'll, I'll address the... There was an article in the Glen and it'll do this. First, I wasn't very nervous because... Nobody reads the Glen Ellen News. So I was like, this goes to every house in Wheaton. And I'm like, so what? Nobody reads it. Uh, so here's the deal. If, you, if, if asked, here's what you say. Here's where, uh, first I'm drawing, Karen, which is not very helpful for you, but I'm going to just, uh, you know what? I'm going to, uh, I'm sorry. OK, I'll try to, sorry. I know, I know. Hold on. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, this is, uh, okay, so there's three bits here. This is the, uh, this is where St. John is. This is where WBC is. This is the Eifert Memorial Block, okay? I'm going to keep going until you laugh. All right, so here's the deal. I think the man who wrote the letter asked, uh, lives like right here across from WBC, I think. And the letter seemed to say, 
hey, those Lutherans were going to knock down this building here, or now their school is closed, so what in the world are they going to do with that block? And then it was a little bit pejorative. It said things like, you know, what happens when that goes to disrepair, and all of Wheaton looks horrible, and government funding stops, and the Wisconsin lawmakers take over, and <laughs> Obama drops nuclear weapons on us. What will happen to us? It was something like that, as I recall. So, so the question is, the question is, um, he's talking about this. We've asked for our variants here. So he has the long block. So it's a bit misinformed. And if he shows up at the, at the council meeting, God bless him, and we'll just say um, he's misinformed. Now, let me just, so I'll do this a little bit more. This was six lots. Big lots weren't selling in Wheaton. So John Crow and the realtor got together and said, we'll make it seven. That'll reduce the price. It'll increase the m amount that we make. It'll reduce the price for people who buy. They did that, and they have contracts on six of the seven lots. If the city council approves it, the city council seems to be inclined to do that because as a church, we don't pay taxes, and when they become single, well, when they become, when they're, when, we're not, when they come back into the, they're gonna go back on the property tax rolls, that's basically it. Make sense? So anyway, it's not to worry about it, and when that happens, you just say, okay, he didn't quite get it right, but thanks for um, being our neighbor, that's what you'd say. Yes, please. Um, I think it came from, well, the thing is, with our math, we sort of said, how would we close the gap if, if there are this many giving units, and um, if we're $65,000 behind and we have, you know, 600 or 500 giving units, um, you know, you sort of put the 600 into the 60,000, you get 25 bucks. It was, it was kind of math like that. Um, I'm not sure the math exactly holds up. We kind of redid that a couple of times. But basically, we let the insert go under this thing. One, we can't reconvene the governing board quickly and have a big email stream. Two, um, you can say if everybody bumps a little bit, that'll give us a little bit of little, give us a little room. And it was important to see on the black thing or on the on the yellow sheet that we're still in the black. That was the important part. The staff uh, has been extraordinarily careful in not overspending our budget, so we're still in the black. But give it, just give us a little room to breathe. So I think, it, I think we got that number. You know, when you come to governing board, we have two hours and we're all working fast and you guys are tired and you haven't seen this stuff. And then when you have a little time to reflect on it, you say, hey, is that exactly what we want to say? So it kind of got prettied up through the week. But the impulse, I think, of the governing board was to say to people, you've been very faithful, but if you give us a little more room, that would be a little better for us. Does that make sense? So, you know, just if you can increase a little bit, good. But I also want to say to you, well, I erased it. <laughs> Uh, I also want to say to you, um, in general, it seems like fairly good news to me, and we can analyze that as many ways as we want. The problem is, though, you have to remember for John Crow, I'll just, he's not here, so I'll put a pitch in for him. John Crow has a, has a real job, you know, 50, 60 hours a week. When we moved next door, we made John Crow the general contractor, which is now is turning out to be another 50, 60 hours a week. It's very difficult to say to John, hey, crunch a bunch of these numbers because we're kind of curious. I mean, we just... The guy is working a gazillion hours, as is Martha, because all the press is on them. What we would have paid, you know, $100,000 for, we just put that on staff people. They were willing because they would have rather had a really good font or a really good altar, but then we can't even give them more work. You know, at some point, there's, the Lord only made 24 hours in a day, and if we try to give them 26 hours of work, we're just running, running upstream. Make sense? Everybody still good? Let me answer a couple of questions quickly that I got. Um, Gosh, uh, we'll see what happens here. And maybe I'll give you a puzzle to work on. Um, one of the questions I got, remember I said you could email me questions through the week. One of the questions I got is, why does the vicar get to preach 
when um, Augsburg Confession says in 14, you can't preach unless you're rightly, rightly called. There's actually congregations where vicars don't preach because that's interpreted very literal, literally. However, um, we interpret that uh, in the same way that we had Dave Woolrub at the altar at nine o'clock helping with the uh, distribute the Eucharist or that we have, you know, Joe Hansen teach uh, or at least begin to teach a Bible study at the beginning of the year or all sorts of other things. If I can get to 14, I'll give it to you. One line, order in the church. And the reason things are short when you go to our confession, so you can see, you can see this one is short, one line. The reason that's short is nobody argued about it. Creeds, confessions, they only get long when people argue about it. You want to read the one on justification? Page after page after page. This is one line. It's taught among us, that's the Lutheran churches. Nobody should publicly teach or preach or administer the sacraments in church without a regular call. That means Joe can't do it and Dave can't do it. And who else did I say? Did I say? Oh, the vicar. The vicar couldn't possibly do it. Uh, so, um, you know, what does that mean? The answer is, you know, if you pull that out, it means that the pastor is, as the scriptures say, stewards of the mysteries, and you put a pastor into that office, the confessions say the office of Christ, Augsburg 5, the office is um, the delivery of the gospel that belongs to the pastor, and nobody else should be in that position. I mean, my simple diagnostic for you is, how many of you ride in a cab? Raise your hand if you ride in a cab. Or ride a bus. When you get in a cab, man, you guys, liars, liars, pants on fire. You've never ridden in a cab. <laughs> when you ride, when you get in a cab, how many of you have a driver's license? Right, okay. So you've ridden in a cab and you have a driver's license. Now, for people who think it's only functional, which is the way people talk about it sometimes, and not really a divine office, the way that, how many of you, when you get in a cab with your driver's license, how many of you drive? You say to the guy, move over. I'm 16, I got a driver's license, it's merely functional, I'll drive. How many of you do that? No, if you do that, you have to go to jail. Okay? Because it's not given to you by the proper authorities to do that. It's the same reason you don't preach. The vicar preaches. Last night, um, Pastor Nelson's grandfather died. Pastor Nelson was gone. So we like to give the vicar as many repetitions as we can. So he preached Nelson's sermon. So, okay, Vic, under the dirty little secrets category, um, how many times would you say we rewrite your sermon from the first time you give it to us until you preach it? <laughs> See, there's the thing, man. Sometimes people give you more than you ask for, don't they? Uh, so the proper answer is, yes, he is there, but it's not his sermon. So our, be our best hope is that we try, it, we try not to let it be his sermon. Uh, vicars are normally grouchy about that the year they're here and happy about it the year they leave. So um, it's the same with Dave, or it's the same with Joe, or the same with any... Next door, I mean, we're probably going to need, we're kind of looking at um, 15 people to work for, uh, you know, they're going to be there. I mean, I'll just, no, I'm not going to cause myself more problems than I got already. So here's the thing, we're going to need people to do that, but people who do that are, the people that can't work at the altar, the people say, I must work at the altar. So I mean, I'll just tell you a real story from St. John. I had some people who came to me one day and said, unless I can be the lay reader, we're leaving the congregation. Unless I can read the lesson. And then the other, there were a couple. The other one said, unless I can teach confirmation and be in charge of confirmation, we're leaving the congregation. 
So, I mean, be me the pastor. You have people who come, they set a Saturday afternoon appointment on their agenda. Is, I want to be a lay reader. If I can't be a lay reader, we leave. I want to be a confirm. I'm going to, I'm going to be in charge of confirmation. If I can't be in charge of confirmation, we're going to leave. That's not, the, that's not the pastoral thing to say, but they did, in fact, because when somebody backs you, the old Lutheran thing is, if you say, I must, I can't, and if you can't, if you say, I can't, I must. Have you heard this before? If you say, I must, I can't, if you say, I can't, I must, that's the old Luther, Lutheran thing of freedom. So regardless of whether it's okay to have lay people read, if you tell me, I must read, as in, I must drive your cab, as in, I must usurp your authority, then you can't have them do it, which is why, even when we get to the dicey thing, occasionally I've had the deaconess teach my Bible study. Some people get all nervous about that because of the, um, what's spoken of in the scriptures of how women interact and all that. However, if it's clear, if the deaconess isn't trying to usurp authority, if it's clear she's under my care, then it's okay for that to happen because she fills it under my care um, in the same way that the vicar fills it under my care. Make sense? So you're trying to be a literalist. On the other hand, and you try to see that people need to grow up in the church, on the other hand, um, Certainly, the other has been our problem for the last 30 or 40 years because we've become American Protestants. Lutherans never knew anything about other people doing this stuff or the office being, or, or the ministry being functional. That's a, an American Protest, Protestant incorporation. So um, that's the vicar. Then I got an email about you know what happens to pastors when they get a call, and and then that was. Do we, should you interview about calls? So what happens to pastors when they get a call in the Lutheran church is they become instantly charismatic. Man, you're a tough group. Okay. Uh, this is what happens to them. Normally, we're all about it's word, it's sacrament. We think it through. We use our baptized brains. And then a pastor gets a call. And then what, is, what, are, what do 99% of the pastors in the Lutheran church say when they decide to go or stay? What do they say? What do they say? After prayerful consideration, and then what do they say after that? Even that's pretty close. So what do they say? The Spirit told me to, A, go, B, stay. I'm like, the Spirit told you. You spend the whole rest of your time making fun of charismatics, and then when you get a call, you instantly become one. So here's, here's what a pastor should do when he gets a call. A pastor should say, one is you don't leave when the going's tough unless you're absolutely going to be broken by it. Um, Jesus has a parable about that, and he says, you know, you don't flee when things get tough. So basically... Pastors um, only leave when the going is good. If you want your pastor to leave, my advice is to you is to give a lot of money and be really nice. <laughs> that would be, and then he'd say, holy cow, I've worked myself out of a job, I'm out of here, okay? It's like, I don't know if you've any, anybody of you read, uh, the, the Pope has made news by, um, I, for the first time in a long time, or first time ever, given a, he's given a book-length interview to a, reporter from Germany, and the guy said to him, can the Pope ever leave? You know, there was all kinds of talk with John, John Paul leaving because he had Parkinson's and would have already been debilitated. The decision was he should die debilitated and show the world how to die. That was the decision that was made. So he said rats, and, and for Ratzinger, the question comes because of the great sexual abuse scandals and all that's happened, should he step down? Kind of this notion, and it should be challenged at some point that, you know, that a private somewhere does something in the prison that a general has to be fired because that's how politics work. We probably should re-examine that some, someday as a country. So a priest somewhere in Germany abuses a child, does the, does the Pope have to resign over that? Um, 
you know, we might want to rethink that. We don't normally have this notion of collective guilt. In the church we do, but not outside. But it'd be something to rethink, just to think about someday. But he basically says um, the Pope could resign, which is a very interesting answer, um, if he could no longer bear the weight of the office. So if a pastor can't bear the weight, um, you know, your choices are to die in office, broken under it, or get so close to death that you'll resign it. But otherwise, you stay until people give so much money and are so nice to you that they could have a first-year seminary and he would flourish. Because, of course, the other dirty little secret is, and this parallels itself in the ELCA when they ordained women, we send our first-year seminarians. Where do we send first-year seminarians? Where do we send them? Well, why do we send them to Montana? Little church, no money, three families running it, two of which are fighting with each other. They have guns. Come on, come out of it. So basically what we do is we, we take our most difficult pa parishes and we send our newest guys who couldn't possibly survive there. And then we say, why don't people first? Even think about Gaining and Nelson, and they're not here, so I'll just say it. Think about Gaining and Nelson the last five years. Is this their introduction to the ministry, and how did that shape them for the rest of their lives? So a lot of my task the last five years was trying to keep them from being so embittered that they would quit the ministry or leave. Okay. So you have to think about that. Now, the other side of the coin is make this place so good that um, you, know, you can call a first-year guy, and then I can go someplace where it's a little more trouble since I'm a little smarter than I was 20 years ago. So pastors only leave when they're going to die, almost die, or when things are really good. In the interim, um, you sort of stick with your call. When you get a call, you basically do what you do every day of your life, which is you think about where the Lord can have a good use of you. Or it's exactly what we've talked about with you, is the pastor says, where's my spot? So you're just saying, where's my spot? My, where, do, where do what I have, does, do, is what I have what they need? And then the question continued, what about a lot of interviewing? And I can tell you, I interviewed here, partly because these things are adiaphora. You can interview or not interview. You're free to interview or not. But I can tell you, the interview I had with you I would think I would say on both sides had almost nothing to do with the reality of my being pastor here. You basically wanted to see whether I had three heads, and basically that's what I wanted to know about you. And frankly, I discovered some of you actually. <laughs> and of course, by now you know that I do. <laughs> so um, you basically we shouldn't. You have a brain; it's been baptized. You live. My mostly the advice that I give to guys when they say, "Should I go?" I say. Um, Think about your parish six months ago. Because what happens often when somebody gets a call is suddenly everybody's really nice to them for 10 minutes. So I always say to people, think about where you were six months ago because that's what it's going to be like in six months. And then decide if that, those spots on either side, six months either side of a call, are where you think you can do the most good. That makes sense? Yes, please. Yeah, um, a congregation extends a call because we don't have bishops. So even in the Methodist Church, forget to get the Catholics if you, anybody has an anti-Catholic bias. Even if you have Methodist friends growing up, do you have any Methodist pastor friends? What do you know about the kids in your neighborhood who are the Methodist pastor's kids? Well, you aren't going to be there very long. Every seven years the bishop moved them, whether they liked it or not. I hear that's loosened up a little bit because it actually has been devastating for pastor's family because you're never, you're rootless. Um, it's really hard. I mean, it's really hard. If you, leave, if you move your kids when they're one, 
8 and 15. The 8 and 15, 8, maybe 15, they're going to hate you for life. But by 22, they're not in the church anymore, right? Um, why do you, I mean, here's another thing for you to think about in terms of how pastors work. But why is it that 100 years ago, most pastors were pastors' kids? And why is it that now almost no pastors are pastors' kids? Think that through sometime. That would be an interesting diagnostic for the Missouri Synod. Um, mostly because people grow up with it and they're like, you've got to be flipping kidding me. There's no way I'm putting up with that. So, to your question is, um, that's the way we've done it. Um, it's just the way it came about, given kind of the stuff that Pastor Gaining, um gave. Now, it's not, it's not illicit, but there would at least have to be some thoughtfulness about it. Um, and we do have the district president properly should advise the congregation. Here's one thing that doesn't happen and should happen more. Local pastors should also advise. That was very common for Lutherans. Chemnitz, the guy I wrote my dissertation on who was right after Luther, the first generation. When there was an open call, you know, the 30 closest pastors got together and said, who do we think should go there? And we've just lost that. Um, but it's not, um, the hard thing about a call meeting is you actually do human resources in public, which we found is not a very helpful thing. And it often comes down to fixations. You decide you want one particular thing in a pastor, you spot that in some paperwork, and you rally your troops and come to a voters meeting. Um, that probably isn't the best way to go. It's very difficult to have a considered conversation with 150 or 200 people. The other thing that happens is, and this, one of the other things that happens at voters meetings is people who haven't been to church all year suddenly show up. I'll never forget, I had a woman in a new members class who joined, never came to church, and then we had, um, a voters meeting and suddenly this I heard this voice I'm like you gotta be kidding me I turned around a woman who hadn't been here for three years was given this impassioned speech about where the church should go she hasn't been back to church since that's the problem with a voters meeting and that's the problem with people deciding on a call this doesn't mean it's illicit or doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong if everybody agrees it should be but it doesn't go with the scripture not only with the stuff that Gainey gave you here's what it doesn't go with it doesn't go with asking wise people in the congregation a voters meeting levels everything so your kid, under this constitution, I'm sure this was done because somebody said, this is how we'll keep our kids interested. So basically, as soon as we confirm a kid in eighth grade, they have the same power that you do in the congregation. I mean, here's the thing. If the eighth graders wanted to take over this congregation, they could do it. If all the high school kids turned out, they could take over the congregation. Is that biblical? Because what, is the, what did the scriptures say? The scriptures say, appeal to your older, wiser people. So if you're going to have a voters meeting, here's what should happen. First, you should examine yourself, because there's a lot of people, and I don't know how we would do this mechanically, but there's a lot of people who don't give and don't come to church. To my mind, they have no skin in the game. They're not spiritual, and they shouldn't be able to stand up and speak or even vote. Why should you be able to vote if you don't come to church, if you don't give, if you don't come to Bible study, if you don't say your prayers? And that, those things are very easy to sort out, especially the giving and the coming to church. Why should people who don't give and don't come to church come once a year and get to have the same vote that you have, and you're here five days a week. Why is that? That's just a screwed up constitution and system. However, we, you can't go so far as to say none of that matters because we are what we are, and thought creeps, and you get out of problems over, you get into problems over a long time, you get out of problems over a long time. Let's not everybody kind of be reactive, but let's be aware of our, where maybe we don't have it right. We don't have to necessarily pound the table. We might want to avoid some things. So here, you know, I'd be more comfortable with having people speak who are recognized as being kind of wise and firm voices and in for the long haul and got a lot of skin in the game. At the Bible church, at least that's my understanding, 
They had members, they had voting members. The only people who could vote were people who brought their W-2s in and said, showed that they were given at least 10%. That's an interesting criteria. Um, criterion. I mean, so I mean, so, I mean, that's one way, one way of doing things. We're so infected with democracy. Democracy is a great leveler. It's great if you want, you know, it's a great leveling thing. It means your kid at eighth grade and you have the same vote, but you probably don't have the same wisdom. It's a great leveler and it has some advantages. It also has some grave disadvantages. So, and trying to find that is, is a very, you know, the guys who are working on the Constitution, that's a very hard thing for them to do. Be generous when they come with ideas. Be generous um, with how things might work out. Well, I don't know. We're going to have to be real clever. The first thing we're doing is we're getting a lot of Constitutions from other churches. It was really weird. I'm on a, this church is big enough that I'm on a mailing list for big churches. And um, I, got an, I got an email last week, probably 60 names on there. So this would be churches that would worship, you know, five, six, seven hundred above, you know. Some guy said, a very famous guy actually, he was a professor, he's a very good preacher. He's up at a new church. He said, you know, I've just come to this new church. He left the seminary, went to this church. He said, I've got 16 people on staff and five, you know, reports or something like that. He said, we got to rewrite our constitution, nothing works. What should I do? It was like opening the floodgates. And the answer was, almost everybody said, ours doesn't work either, and we're trying to rewrite it. What are you doing? In fact, I, I wrote a guy who gave, I thought, some very lucid points and just said, you know, would you send us your constitution? We probably gathered a dozen of those. So here's the thing. What, what, what a constitu here's the thing. Any good people can work with any constitution, but, a, but, a, but bad people with a bad constitution is a disaster. You know the definition of a revolution. When you, when you replace a bad government with a worse one. Uh, come on now, I thought that was pretty good. Man. So what we don't want to do is replace a bad governance structure with a worse one. That's going to take some time. But we actually have to govern in between now and then. So we're going to have to say, what do you think? What do you think? How does this work? And we're going to have to recognize where we're weak or maybe out of line. We have to recognize how much change a congregation can take. We have to try to recognize what's best. We've got to figure out a way the scriptures say, how do we privilege mature voices? How do you do that? I said, those are all very difficult things to quantify. If you just say one man, one vote, that's easy, period, you're done. That's not the way the scriptures are. There's no place. If you can find a place in the scriptures where that's the case, go ahead and show it to me. I can't find one place like that, not one. In fact, the, the evidence is just the opposite. Timothy calls um, Paul his spiritual father. Right? And the Confucians pick that up. Or congregations call their pastor shepherd. Well, I mean, that's a definite kind of relationship. Or there's a bishop, and you know, the ancient word for bishop was when the gods appear. I mean, that's what it means in the pagan world, when the bishop episcopals is when the gods make an incarnation. Well, now the scriptures say this is your bishop, which means that's God in the flesh. What do you do with that? Well, it means something like he's the one who represents Christ who took flesh, and um, We'll see what happens with that. By the way, you were unfailingly polite at the end of Gaining's last lecture. Now, the great exchange is gonna to happen today. I need to pick him up from the airport and then I'm leaving town, so he's gonna be stuck with you next week. But the last thing he cited for you was the Hebrews verse about obeying your pastor, and you were so docile, if I might say. And then nobody went to their confessions and looked in the back where you can look that up, and nobody has cited yet after two weeks, so I'm stunned by this, where it says, um, this verse only applies uh, in matters of the gospel. So first, you, you got to do a little more homework. But then as soon as you were going to say that, 
because I was going to say, okay, what's the matter for the gospel? Like, for instance, Mrs. Miller, you're a very nice woman, but do I have any say in the drapes in your living room? I've just carefully consider this question. What do you say? So the Zellers are nice. They're, they're not even new members yet. I shouldn't insult them before they join. Uh, but he's a pastor's kid, so he knows what I'm talking about. So here's the deal. I'll just ask the rest of you. Once I, This actually happened to me once since I've been here. My wife casually said, hey, we painted the bedroom. And somebody said to my wife, you didn't ask us. That's, and that's post us owning the Clark Street. So that's my life. So I'm going to return the favor now. Um, so my question is, do I get, under obedience of the gospel, do I get to weigh in on her living room drapes? What do you say? There's not much time left. So you got to vote early and often. What do you think? No is your proper American answer. That's right. Um, we don't have much time. Oh, the vicar, not paid to say it, and putting his vicarage on the line because... So now you have two. Um, so now you have two, and I've said this in different ways to you, which is if you have three houses and if you have three cars and two houses, but you don't tithe, you have too many houses and cars. So you see, it's not that clear cut. Frankly, I'm not very good with drapes. Uh, so you wouldn't, if you were just looking for skill level, you wouldn't ask me, and you especially wouldn't ask me, you know, on the side outside my pastoral office. Really, I'm a disaster with drapes. However. Um, if your drapes are nicer, nicer than Jesus' drapes next door, and this is what you got to get about the next door place, if your house is nicer than that house, so I'd calculate, Strutzel, you're a financial man, but let's ask Yonker because this is a hard question. So what would you guys say? <coughs> what would you say? What would you guys say would be the total mortgage indebtedness of this congregation? What would you say? Oh, I think, let's say, let's say there's 500 families. What's the average mortgage debt of a family in Wheaton area? I don't know. That's where we live-ish. Wheaton, greater extended Wheaton area. Okay, so what's 300,000 times 500? It's got to be more than 300,000. Who's got a calculator? Put some zeros over. 3 million, 30 million times 5, 150 million. Did I do that right? 300,000, give it a zero. 3 million, give it a zero. 30 million times 5, 150 million. So basically, that means that our indebtedness for the new place should be $150 million and $1. Attaboy! <laughs> Keller comes from behind. Just when you think, just you think when you got him, whoom, he comes from behind. And you remember, of course, the, that was pretty good, actually. I, could, I must say, I could respect that. And so you have to think to yourself, you know, because you remember how it was in the Old Testament. They gave for the new temple until what? Moses told him to stop. I'm going to give you, uh, it's five after, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you um, the next big thing I'm going to do. Oh, boy. I had another big thing to do. The other one I got was, was about the outreach and inreach question, with the, which Penny Rosenwinkel posed and then followed up with a very nice email, two pages long, which was extraordinarily helpful. Um, I want to, uh, gosh, here's where I'm going to go next when I get the chance, if Gainig ever lets me talk again. He'll be all full of words when he comes back. I want to look to you, I want, I want to ask you about the difference between power and authority. Because I've talked to several of you about who have agreed with the point that your, that your, your, your day job doesn't transfer to here. 
the worst thing that can happen is when people come from their day job and they think it automatically transfers into the, into the church. Um, and it doesn't. And um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to actually, I'm going to give you my notes, uh, read it quickly, and then I'm going to give you an assignment. So this is where I'm going to go. I've been thinking about this for, for a while, for a couple of weeks. Um, I wonder if I can even find my notes. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Basically, what I'm going to suggest to you is that um, in your normal life, this, you live by power. Power is seized. Power goes with influence, so you spend all your time thinking how you can influence other people. Power works then by politics. Often that politics um, suppresses or is done in the dark. The reason I'm giving you this is so you can think about it in head, which then works by fear and is utterly in the way of the law. Okay? That's how the world works. You're free to argue, but I'm just sort of tracing the stuff. Here's how the scriptures work. Authority is bestowed, it's given, as in you put a pastor into place. It does not work by influence, but rather by truth. Why? Because we are convinced that the Holy Spirit animates us. When you're always about influence, when you're always about this, you're trying to size people up and find a way to manipulate them, move them, nudge them, get them to agree with you, right? That's not what I do with you. My job is to give you the truth with a big T, Jesus, and let the Holy Spirit do the balance. Do you see the difference? Which then um, doesn't go to politics, but rather goes to community. And then that um, doesn't, it's in the light, and it empowers people to find their spot, and that works in the way of the gospel. And the interesting thing, this is what I'm going to do the next time I get a chance. I'd be happy to have your feedback, but I'm fairly confident about this. Um, the interesting thing, in the scripture, there's a bundle of words that work this way. One is dunamis, like dynamite. That's the raw power. It's in the Old Testament. That's what the Lord exercises, okay? But you know what happens with the incarnation when Jesus comes? The most fascinating thing happens. He, at Jesus' baptism, he is given authority, Luke 5. And then in Luke 6, he extends that authority. And he ends in Matthew 28 by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So the Father bestows authority, and the Son comes, and he doesn't work by the way of the law. He comes and he works by the way of the gospel. And this is why people have such trouble. This is why people have such trouble coming from their day jobs to the church jobs. Because everybody's paradigm is this, and the church paradigm is this, and so you just slide into this as if the same thing's going to work, and it's a disaster. Make sense? I'll give you the biblical details next time. Partly the reason I'm doing this is kind of out of full disclosure. This is how I see the world. This is why whatever constitution you have doesn't work unless people are all playing the same game, and this is the game. The Father gives authority to the Son. You take a left turn and run across the board, and that's how things work. Exousia is the Greek word. I should, have put a, I should have put an X there. It would have been easier to read. Exousia. Exousia is the, is the gospel word there. And Jesus constantly talks about the exousia that's given to him. He does, in fact, have this, but he has it in proper balance with this because that's what's given to the Father. i got to hop upstairs. Um, I'm going to take a week off. Um, 
I'm going to take three days in silence at a monastery in California, then I'm going to go see my daughter for a couple of days. People always wonder where I'm going. It's not that I wouldn't tell you, but I'll tell you because if it makes you crazy, you don't know, I'll tell you. Um, I've done that before. It's actually a, it's kind of a salutary experience, so we'll see what happens. And then um, it's kind of my continuing out. I can't go do another PhD, but I think I'll you know do something else that may help my soul. So I'll see you back on the 1st of March, and uh, by that time, we'll actually be across the street. So I'm leaving this office and moving into a new office, and um, you're going to do that. And, God bless you, and I'm sorry I'm gone, but I planned this six months ago, and I can't miss it. Okay? Yes, we'll see what happens. We'll see if I can find anything. No, no, no goofing with the boxes. You could adjust my drapes if you wish, but you need to talk to Ms. Heller over here if you could do that. Please do it in the way of the gospel when you do it. If you could do that, please. Okay. Um, okay, if you have questions or things you want to talk about, send me an email. I'm going to pick up this. At some point, I'm going to have Pastor Gainig pick up the notion. So I'm going to pick up notions of power and authority. I'm going to have Pastor Gainig pick up notions, I think. Uh, well, we'll see what he wants to do. Uh, uh, but I think I, somebody has to talk about the priesthood of all believers. Maybe that's something you can do before I get back, or I can do that, or he may want to go a different way. Anyway, love you. Keep your chins up. Please try to help. Um, the finances are not grim, but they need to be tended. The move next door is busy, but it's a ton of fun. I mean, yesterday they put the carpet in, and Rich was there all day, and Dave Mumo was there. And they, I mean, it's glorious. You walk in, and you just can't believe. The painting downstairs, the stuff going inside. I mean, you should come to work just so you get to look around. And of course, then you can boss other people, too. I don't think that color should be. Could you move that up? So, no, please. Man, you are so tough. What? Well, that would be a great question to ask. That's right. I, you would, it depends how you boss him, I suppose. Uh, see, this is, and this, see, the question of power and authority then goes to skills and gifts. So there are some things, like, for example, I'm scared to death of the paint colors because I don't do that very well, but I know paint color needs to be chosen. So I'm, like, in great fear and trepidation because this is not one of my spiritual gifts, nor is it my spot. Yet, on the other hand, when I see it, I know it. So it's one of those things where when I see it, I know it, but I can't get there. It's like a disability. You know, I can't just, I just can't do it. It's not my skill. So... So what I don't do is tell the, yeah, right, exactly, do it that color, which would be the stupidest thing I could do because I have no skills there. However, I know it's going to go the other way because on the first day somebody's going to say to me, why did you pick that paint color? And the answer is, and I'm just going to say, yeah, well, because this is true in my home congregation. The guy in charge of painting the sanctuary last time around, this is true, was colorblind. That is true. They made a colorblind guy intentionally chairman of the paint committee. Talk about writing the Constitution to protect yourself as an insurance policy. They made, the, they made a colorblind And then when he said, hey, I'm just going to say, that's what it looked like to me. True story. You, you, you can't, you know, Karen? Uh, boy, by unanimous declaration, uh, I think you're it, okay? All right, thank you. Uh, well, the governing board will take it under advisement. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.